doubling your traffic is not going to double your sales. But if we invest in your conversion, we may triple or quadruple your sales. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we're dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. Now let's get on with the show. Do you want to deliver marketing moments that last a lifetime? Klaviyo is the ultimate marketing platform for e-commerce. With targeted segmentation, email automation, SMS marketing, and more, Klaviyo helps you create your ideal customer experience. See why Klaviyo is trusted by more than 50,000 brands like Living Proof, Solo Stove, and Huckberry. Keep your customers coming back. Get a free trial at klaviyo.com slash honest. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And today, welcoming to the show, fantastic guy. I've talked to him before. And we uh, realized that our frameworks are kind of similar. So I'm excited to get into that. But from across the pond, I'm welcoming Matt Edmondson. How are you doing today? Yeah. Hey, Chase. Good. Good to be with you from across the pond, as you say. Yes. That small pond that divides us. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's very. Uh, it's a very big pond. So Matt is the CEO of the Jersey Company. So you guys, are you kind of like a roll-up? But you, you've got a few companies underneath you. How do you want to kind of explain that? I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We've got our own online site. So we have a, the Jersey Beauty Company is probably the most famous one with our own online sites. But I also run an agency over here and I run a coaching and consulting company all around e-commerce. Yeah, it's 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 a long, complex story, but it's, it's fun. Uh, it is fun and I'm busy all the time. Absolutely. So you guys have sold to almost uh, 120,000 or more than 120,000 customers. Uh, you guys achieved global sales of around 75 million. So Matt knows what he's doing with his uh, his portfolio of companies. So take me back to the beginning. How'd you cut your teeth in e-com? You know, how'd you come down this path? It's a really great question, Chase. Actually, I, it's um, like many things you do in life. I kind of got here by accident. It was not intentional. It was just a complete accident. I used to sell. Um, in the days gone by, uh, I used to sell saunas and steam rooms and I used to design health spas. And a friend of mine came to me one day and said that he was looking for a website. He'd heard of these things called websites. This was back in the late nineties. And he thought he should get one. And did I know anybody that could do it? Well, I knew only one company at the time that could create websites and they charged a small fortune. So I said to him, well, listen, uh, if you buy me the software, um, which back then was Illustrator, uh, not Illustrator, what was it called? Dreamweaver, if you remember Dreamweaver days. I do. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I said to him, if you buy me Dreamweaver, I'll figure it out. And and we just sort of shook hands on it. And then I figured out how to use a software and write websites. And that's it wasn't too long after that where we then decided, well, if we can do these websites, surely we can do it where people can buy products on our website because that was starting to take off in the late 90s, the early noughties, you know. And that, that was basically it. It was just a guy coming into my office asking me a question. I thought, well, I can have a go at that, you know, and see what happens. So you were always a tinkerer, a creative guy, always accepting challenges. Some of that rings true with me. I remember the first time someone asked me if I could make a website and I was like, 
Maybe. Let's find out. <laughs> I don't know. Let's have a go. What's the worst that could happen, right? Yeah, you're, you're, we're back here and you just don't have a website. And I've learned that I can't make one. But actually, I could make one. And you know, now we're here. So it was, it was pretty, yeah. pretty fun experiment. Yeah, yeah. All right. So after that, you figured out that you could make websites. Where did kind of the birth of Jersey Beauty come from? And kind of your first, you know, what would we call that your first success? I don't, I don't want to, you know, put words in your mouth. Sure. It was our first major success. Um, I mean, I'd set up e-commerce sites before then. The first one was in 2002. And I set that up and six months later, I sold it. Um, that was a, a great little project to do. That that really got me thirsty and hungry for e-commerce. And in 2006, a friend of mine who lived and still lives on the small island of Jersey, which is, it's, I don't know if you're not familiar with it. It's a small island off the north coast of France. Uh, it's kind of, it's like 45 square miles. It's a tiny place and it's independently British. Okay. So it's kind of British, but it's got its own parliament. It's got its own rules. It's got its own uh, way of doing things. And there's about 100,000 people on the island of Jersey. And it's a beautiful place. And he lived on Jersey. And at the time, what happened was I said to him, you should really do an online business because Jersey had this really quirky law, which meant that they could ship goods to the UK without VAT, uh, which is a sales goods, the good sales tax. Now, VAT in the UK, the sales tax is actually currently at 20%. Okay. So when you could ship goods to the UK without VAT, you were 20% cheaper instantly, but still maintain the same profit margins. And so Andy was like, well, what could we sell uh, online? And so we looked and he, he owned a couple of health clubs at the time and he had some uh, skincare products on the shelves. And we're like, well, let's just sell those and see what happens. Uh, it's not the way I counsel people to do it now. Got to be honest with you, Chase. We'll get into that with the framework. But we were just like, let's just give it a go and see what happens. And, and we launched in August 2006, that website. And we thought, you know, with our original thinking, we did a bit of research and planning. We thought if by the end of 2006, we'd managed to sell about £10,000 worth of product, which is what, about $14,000. If we could sell that amount of product by the end of the year, we would dance a jig. We would be on target. We would be like, this is, this is working really great. And so when we launched at the end of August, we obviously had September, October, November, and December's trading. Okay. So there were those sort of four months of trading. We didn't do the 10,000 pounds we initially estimated. That was our initial target. We did 400,000 pounds worth of sales, which was massively different to what we were expecting. And it just blew up. It instantly went big and um, it grew from there. Yeah. Yeah. It was just it was a phenomenal ride. It was a phenomenal journey. So that's kind of how Jersey started. Yeah. With the launch of that... So that was back in 2006? Yeah, that's right. 2006. So the marketing game was extremely different back then. Oh, yes. I'm assuming some of the, the practices and strategies are kind of going to ring true as well. So when you guys got that online, you, ma you made the website. How did you educate people that it, it existed? Honestly, we had a very simple strategy back then. We were just like, let's just do Google really well. Facebook really wasn't a thing from a marketing point of view back then. I mean, there was a few things going on, but not like it is today. So you, we focused on Google. We focused on SEO um, and we focused on Google AdWords. And you could do that back in 2006. We, you know, the, the way we built it in 2006 is not how you would do it if you were starting today. But back then, the opportunity was there. It was incredible. We just literally dominated Google AdWords. Because of the way that we could distribute from Jersey, because of the pricing advantage that we had, it didn't take long for word to spread amongst the people that bought those products that actually we could ship it to you cheaper than most people. 
And word of mouth was prolific. It was absolutely prolific. This was the days when you could send an email blast out to people. There weren't any spam laws. <laughs> there weren't any kind of right or wrong ways of doing this. We would just send an email out and most people would open the email because they weren't getting many emails. And then they would forward them to their friends because they thought their friends would be interested. And it really captured people's imaginations. It was all about right place, right time for us. Yeah, I can only imagine. You know, And I, I, I feel like there's some people listening to the podcast today that are just getting started and they're like, man, it was so much easier back then. And you know, well, that's all well wishes, but let's kind of talk about now. Let's pivot a little bit more. So nowadays you're helping people launch brands just like that. Is that correct? Yeah. And I actually, Chase, I don't know if it was easier back then. I think there were things that were easier back then, you know, like some of the marketing and maybe dominating on Google and Google AdWords was a bit easier and definitely a lot cheaper back then. Well, you know what? I, I will clarify what I, I meant to say. It seems like it was easier back then is probably what people are thinking. Starting a business is always difficult. Let's clarify a bit there. You guys found a tremendous, almost overnight success. Let's talk about what broke, what went wrong with finding that success. What happens when your business almost goes viral? You know what I mean? Oh, it was crazy. I mean, one of the big problems that we had, well, there's two big problems that we had to sort of think about. One was getting enough stock to fulfill the orders. Um, the the problem that Jersey had, it had this fat advantage, uh, but it was not set up or geared for the sudden onslaught of internet companies that you know were there and it was the delivery systems that that weren't great and so because it was a small island it takes you know several hours for the boats to get from england to jersey so if you had bad seas which you know if you know anything about england weather is not our strongest point is it is <laughs> it we're known for our bad weather so bad seas would happen a lot so just the distribution uh, was a nightmare. You know, how do you how do you set up a warehouse quickly and deliver the parcels? How do you find a reliable shipping company? These were all good problems to have, but they were fundamental problems. How do you pick and pack an order the same day that it comes in so your customer gets it the next day? Um, because all these things started to happen and we had to make sure that we were on top of our delivery game. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff that we had to do to pick it up. They were the things that almost broke us. Yeah, I, I feel like setting expectations, customer service, these are things people almost mm -hmm. overlook because the the north star of like wow we're doing crazy sales like that's cool but you're going to get crazy returns if you're not fulfilling it you know what i mean yeah, absolutely. And you know, with the internet these days, if you give any ounce of bad customer service, your customers are going to tell the whole world. Do you know what I mean? There's that famous phrase, isn't there? If you give good customer service, uh, your customer might tell a friend. If you give bad customer service, your customer is going to tell the whole world. And that was that was true then, and it's true now. In fact, the point. We did a major pivot in 2012, the start of 2012. So Jersey had been running for five years and we moved the whole company from Jersey to the UK because we'd lost the VAT advantage. That loophole kind of got closed. Um, and we shifted it to the UK because of the shipping and the warehousing and the ability to get parcels to customers next day was becoming more and more significant. It was becoming a bigger and bigger part of what customers wanted. And so we made this fundamental business change. A friend of mine who lives in Dallas, actually, Dallas, Texas, he drew on a piece of paper for me once, a triangle. And if you can kind of follow along this drawing in your head. So he drew he drew this triangle on a piece of paper and in each corner of the triangle, he wrote, uh, in one corner, he wrote price. 
In another corner, he wrote quality. And then in another corner, he wrote service. And he said to me, Matt, you have to pick two because you can't do all three. In other words, you can't have a quality product at a low price and give great customer service. Uh, You can't give, you have to have more profit in your product to be able to do those two things, have quality products and and give great customer service. So Jersey for the first five years of its life, um, the way I sum it up is this, Jersey was a low price quality product model. We got a quality product and we sold it at a low price and it became all about the volume and shipping it out. But it meant our customer service was not great. So in 2012, when we changed that, we changed deliberately to a quality product. The product stayed the same, but we moved much more to our high customer service business, which meant our prices had to increase. Okay. And so in 2012, our sales dropped by 20%. No, no, not by 20%, sorry. They dropped by about 10% in 2012, okay, because our prices had gone up. But by the end of 2012, so we'd been, you know, after this sort of the end of the second year of doing this little experiment, our sales were 20% higher than when we moved it over from Jersey. So there was this initial slump, but because of the focus on customer service, because that was becoming more and more of an issue, our sales increased overall by 20% from when we first moved it to Jersey. It was quite outstanding to see this, again, this quite significant growth when we changed our business model. Absolutely. And it's there's something to be said, and this goes across every type of business, service, product, whatever. When you raise your prices, you're going to lose customers. But the customers that stick around are higher quality. Yeah, It's amazing. People will have a million questions about something that's pretty low cost. But once it kind of gets into that more value-based pricing, the questions kind of go away. Absolutely. Since 2004, Avalara's vision has been to harness the power of cloud technology to help simplify sales tax for businesses of all sizes. Avalara solutions are designed to affordably scale with businesses as they grow over time. Tax compliance is not a revenue-generating activity. So, Avalara's technology is designed to help you manage compliance as efficiently and accurately as possible so you can reclaim your valuable time and reduce risk in your business. With more than 1,000 signed partner integrations, Avalara likely integrates with the ERP, e-commerce, mobile payment, and point-of-sale systems you use today. Find out how your business can be sales text ready at avalara.com slash honest. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Avalara. Tax compliance done right. It's a it's a fantastic world to be in. So I guess uh, I mean just if you want a masterclass on pricing and raising your prices, look at what Netflix has done over the last five ten years. They keep <laughs> increasing their prices, and they'll lose ten percent of their customers. But they did the math, and they still come out ahead somehow. And it's fantastic. Yeah, and I wonder how many of those customers that they lose end up coming back because they missed the service so much. You know. Yeah, it is a very quality product. Mm-hmm. All right, so you guys have. Uh, Raise your prices. You've moved to the UK to get things to your customers faster. How involved are you still in uh, Jersey Beauty? Yeah, I'm still the still the MD. Still run Jersey Beauty Company. We've got um. I have to be honest with you. We've got a great team uh, that work with me, and that's probably the area that I focused on the most. I don't do, for example, coding anymore. That we've got a team of developers, and they do not let me anywhere near the code. <laughs> It turns out my skills and expertise uh, are not uh, are not any good. <laughs> yeah, you can't you can't have stuff glued together, you know, duct taped anymore when you guys are doing that kind of volume. 
Yeah, apparently not. Apparently not. So, um, <laughs> so I've been kicked off of that. I still really love the marketing. I get very much involved in the marketing. I get very involved in the fulfillment and the distribution side of things. And so I'm really keen on that. But we've got a great team. There's a, a lady called Michelle who runs Jersey. She is uh, an absolute diamond. She's she's wonderful. Um, we've got marketing teams now. Yeah, so it's, it's very different, but I, I would still say it still takes up a good portion of my time because that's where I play. It's where I experiment. So, you know, we do the coaching, we do the consulting, we've got the agency where we do e-commerce for other people. And it's kind of like, I figure it all out in Jersey before I go and tell our clients what, what it is that they should do. Do you know what I mean? I, I quite like that. Oh, I absolutely know what you mean. Yeah, I play... Well, we don't play as much. Uh, we make very educated guesses with our clients' permission. But you know, that's that's what we do on our side of things. So we have, we you know working with about twelve people at a time, doing some really really fun stuff, finding out what works, and then we kind of disseminate it down through honesty commerce and share it with everybody else. Yeah, you know the the whole goal of honesty commerce as we kind of build out that ecosystem is trying to help people go from you know doing a hundred thousand a year in sales to doing a million plus, and then you know hopefully they have they want to work with Electric Guy because they've heard the stuff that we've shared and yeah you know that that's the master plan everybody so yeah <laughs> there you go and there's no secrets behind the master plan it's it's uh yeah no not at all also like we can't afford to work with everybody like we don't have enough <laughs> bandwidth like there's yeah. it you know we're a very high touch high-end agency so it's like we can only work with a certain amount of people at a time so like we need to sign like one client every other month and like we're doing what more than we should be yeah so let's pivot it back to you and you've got a love for Jersey because you have since developed the Jersey framework. So where did that come from? Uh, and let's kind of get into that and talk about that. Sure. So I, what happened was as Jersey became bigger and bigger and more and more successful, uh, more and more people came to me and said, can you come help us with our e-commerce business? Can you give us you know, the, the benefit of your advice for whatever it's worth? And again, this was purely one of those things you know, that I wasn't looking to get into this whole field of coaching or consulting or doing the courses. I just wasn't. It just came about because people asked a question. And it became obvious, uh, and you'll know this, Chase, right? When you when you talk to people, when you do the coaching, the teaching, whatever whatever language you use, mm -hmm. you need a way to explain it. You need to a, a way to explain your methodology in a way that works for other companies that they can implement it. And so we came up with a framework that just so happened to be these sort of six segments. And we worked hard to try and figure out how we could make that say Jersey <laughs> uh, for obvious reasons, because it did tied in with our own e-commerce business. Yeah. Um, but that, again, it was just, like I say, somebody asking a question and we're just like, how do I take what I know intuitively? How do I distill that into a sentence or two sentences that is going to help somebody else go, okay, I can take that, I can implement that, and I can make that work in my own business. And that's what the framework is all about. Absolutely. It, it's, you know what? It, it's funny. Like when you name something, it becomes that much cooler and it's such a, it's such a strong <laughs> marketing move. But the other day, yeah. I was watching, I was watching CNN because I'm an American and I'm glued to the TV. Um, <laughs> watching this and there was a commercial for one of the, uh, you know, 
new like invisible retainer straighten your teeth companies. I I don't believe it was the major one, but anyways, so they had this thing on there and it was like the only one that has proven smart migration technology like involved. And I was like, they just straight up made up that word yeah, yeah. and used it in their advertising. And I just think that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's such a funny marketing thing where you can just like create your own edge by just inventing something. Yeah. And companies do it all the time, don't they? And you see things and it's like, you know, I, I, <laughs> there's a name, the name escapes me for it, but there is a name which describes this phenomenon. Uh, but yeah, we see it on this side of the pond as well. People just making stuff up all the time. And it works. In terms of marketing language, it does, it totally works. Yeah. So for anyone out there that has an e-commerce company and you've, you want to create an edge, just market it, market one, just make one. You know what I mean? You invent something. It's fine. It works. You're not technically lying. I don't know. Maybe that's getting into liable and I'm not a lawyer. So you probably read some <laughs> laws. But you know, if, you've got, if you have something that's a unique about your product and you can put a name to it, you know, there's your marketing edge. Yeah. And you see this all the time in the beauty industry, to be honest with you. you they'll come up with names for ingredients that's in effect you know, a standard ingredient but if they name it differently, it feels like it's got something different. So, you know, if you had dry skin and you tried this product and it didn't work, maybe you should try this product because that's kind of that product, but it's got this ingredient that no one else has got. And, you know, we'll try that. And it's, it's just a made up name or a, a fancy name for an, an, an ingredient that's already in there. Or our exclusive formula. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All those kind of words and phrases. And you're just like, okay. Yeah. All right. So that went down a fun marketing rabbit hole. But let's get back to the Jersey framework. <laughs> I'm sure that your framework is amazing. Hey, we've got our own framework that we are going to start preaching and using in our marketing as well. But at the end of the day, all the frameworks are just a way to help someone understand the concepts better. Mm-hmm. So let's do that. Let's let. So how does the Jersey framework work? Do we start with Jay? You know what? What is it? Yeah. So, and I'm curious to see how this works alongside what you've done, Chase. To be fair, and uh, it's always good to compare and take notes. I'm still noodling on mine, so maybe I'll I'll borrow some stuff from you. Who knows? Okay, sure. Uh, just call it uh, Jersey Two or something. I don't. I don't mind. Well, I'll call it New Jersey. How's that sound? <laughs> That's a fair comment. Yeah, yeah. Do that. Uh, the UK version and the US version. Um, so yeah, we um, so we start off with the J. Uh, which we call jam jar, and so jam obviously is. Do you, I'm sure you have you have jam jars in the states, right? Where you just um, we do, yeah, yeah. That just represents the product. Okay, so we always say that you start at the product. Uh, we start with the jam jar. We start with J, um, and the idea here is that we curate high demand products that create profit through noble sales patterns. That's what Jamjar is all about, right? It's about finding products that we can sell online. And I always tell people they've got to start with product before they start with anything else. Because if you've not got a product that people are going to buy, you can have the most beautiful website. You can have the most incredible infrastructure, but nobody's buying it. Whereas I've seen really strong demand products, high demand products on the ugliest website in the world, and they're selling by the truckload. Yep. Um, And so you've got to start with the product. Yep. Have you got a product that people want to buy? Is it a high demand product? Is it going to generate you profit? And is this all done through knowable sales patterns that you can tap into? Yeah. So what I harp about, I don't want to interrupt you after everyone, but you know, if I have something to say, I guess maybe I will. Yeah, go for it. So the way so what I do is as I tell people, like the first thing is product market fit. And that's exactly what you're talking about here with Jay mm-hmm. on the jam jar. It's, you know, again, if you have an ugly website and it's still selling, you're onto something, your offer and your product are great. The market wants it. That's product market fit. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, you can go and spend six figures plus on a beautiful website, but if no one wants your product, you just wasted money. Yeah. And I've seen that a lot, actually. Seen that a lot. I, I can tell you the story of a company that spent 120 grand on their website and their sales just went through the floor the moment they upgraded it to this super expensive website. Just crazy, crazy, crazy stuff to do. Anyway, that there uh, we, we digress. There, there, there are stories that we can definitely get into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, once you started with the product, once you figured out, is this a product somebody is willing to buy, somebody is willing to pay money for? And this is where I think uh, you saw it a lot a few years ago. There was a mad rush for people to set up a Shopify website. Um, and they went to AliExpress. They found a product that was cheap on AliExpress. Let's just say it's sunglasses. And they'd put them on their website for 10 times the amount that people would buy them on AliExpress. You would then market that website and you would get them drop shipped in from China and they'd take five to six weeks to arrive. And it was a really popular thing to do. And a few people made reasonable money at it. Most people failed. And they failed because fundamentally they didn't take the time to understand if the market was ready to buy this product or not. Was it a high demand product? No. There's a reason you can buy it for two or three bucks on AliExpress because no one wants to spend big money on it, right? They just don't. Now, there are a few stories and a few gems out there that you can get as long as you take the time to do the research on the product and don't just assume because it's cheap, I can sell it for 10 times that amount where I am, I'm going to make a shed load of money. It just doesn't work out that way anymore. Not at all. It's so hard. The dropshipping model like that was popular a few years back. It's just so dead. And when people come to me and I can recognize the patterns and what they're saying, I go, Hey, you got sold on an old dream. That's wrong. Like That's not going to work anymore. Here's why. Yeah, exactly. What do all e-commerce stores have in common? That's right. Customers. And those customers are going to have questions. Gorgeous is the leading e-commerce help desk with over 5,500 customers on Shopify, Magento, and BigCommerce. Their software is built with machine learning to optimize your support system and allow your team to save time and money on repetitive inquiries while still remaining personalized. What it does is take all of your customers' insights and information, brings it into their amazing dashboard so you can solve your customer's problem as quickly as possible. If you want to give Gorgeous a try, visit gorgeous.grsm.io slash honest to get your second month free. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot G-R-S-M dot I-O slash H-O-N-E-S-T. So uh, that was the J. The E, uh, the first E in Jersey, we call engineer. So this is about engineering. This is about the website. So it's about building an adaptable platform that provides the best buying experience uh, and integrates with your business systems. Okay. So if you're just starting out, you've got a wide range of choice. Uh, If you're already up and running and your business is doing super well, it becomes a lot more complex because whatever you choose, whatever you do has got to integrate with your existing business systems. And the, you know, the advice here, whenever you're choosing a website is to choose something that's going to work for you, but predominantly works for your customer. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you've got to build a website around your customer, around what it is they want, around how they're going to buy your product. So you build that platform. It's all about engineering, building the website, but you don't start on the website until you've got your product. Awesome. Awesome. I'm just going to bite my tongue until the end of it now. I'm writing writing notes. I'm writing notes. Okay. Uh, So the third step of the Jersey framework we call Resonate. 
And so we've got our product, we've got our website. So when somebody is on our website, we've got to think about things like their buying journey. You know, we've got to think about things like their buying experience. What's our navigation like? How's the search functionality work? How have we categorized products? What should we do? What should we not do? What's best practices for our industry to enable people to quickly find what it is they're looking for? But more than that, how can we convert the visitor? How do we get them to buy? But how do we engage with them if they're not ready to buy? Okay. So the majority of people visiting your website are not going to buy first time. Is there a way I can on-ramp that person? Is there a way I could connect with them before they're ready to buy and give them whatever help and information they need to help them choose to buy from us, right? Uh, how do I on-ramp them? Mm-hmm. And for me, that comes in this whole section here about Resonate. This is about building that brilliant customer buying experience on your website. Yeah. I, uh, I, again, I've got some awesome notes here. It's funny how you are very, very similar to some of the things that I have. We're just putting them in different orders because at the end of the day, we're not reinventing the wheel here. <laughs> it's, no, it's pretty straightforward. It's amazing how simple e-commerce is, isn't it? Yeah, I need yeah. a product. I need a website. I need to make sure that my website works when people get on it. Uh, so this is not rocket science so far. Uh, the fourth step, send. Um, this is the one that I instantly get asked about by people all over the world. Uh, they want to go straight to marketing. So for me, send. How do I send people to my website. So you've got to find your customers, direct them to your website in order that they buy from you. And that's the critical thing that sometimes I think people have missed in marketing. You know, you can pay thousands and thousands of dollars to have people go to your website and read a blog post, which is kind of cool if you just want 10,000 visitors. Mm -hmm. But I'm much more interested in the thousand visitors that maybe are ready to buy who, or maybe will buy from me in the future. I don't care how many people ultimately read the blog post. I care about how many people buy. And so it's about getting the right traffic to your website um, yes. and understanding e-commerce marketing, getting your head around the different aspects of e-commerce marketing, understanding what works for you, understanding what works for your customer and just going straight for that. You know, no problem. Yeah, I again, you know, you're you're hitting on things that I always bring up and it's usually when people are reaching out to agencies, consultants, freelancers, whatever, they are specifically requesting marketing help, mm-hmm. which is not the first step ever. No. No. This was brought home to me a couple of years ago. A guy um approached me and said, "Matt, listen, um I want to double the traffic to my website. Uh, I've got about 100 grand budget to spend on marketing. Can you help me? And I was like, well, I'm sure I can help you, but is the hundred grand you want to spend on marketing? Is, is that the right way to spend that hundred grand? I said, give me, give me a couple of days and let me find out. Went away and did some research on the industry, did some research on his competitors, did some research on his website. And I simply said to him, I think if you spent probably about 60 grand of that revamping your website and getting the customer experience on your website much better, you would convert much more traffic than you currently do. I I don't think you have a traffic problem. I think you have a conversion problem. You're getting the same numbers as your competitors are to their websites, but they're converting probably four times more than you are. So if we invest in your conversion, doubling your traffic is not going to double your sales. Um, But if we invest in your conversion, we may triple or quadruple your sales. I have that conversation once a week. Yeah. It's a really common theme, isn't it? It's really, really common. Or the other one, they come to you and say, uh, right, how do I do Facebook ads? 
Uh, that's the really popular one. How do I do Facebook ads? My first question is, uh, are your customers on Facebook? Yeah, that's something that you need to consider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? If you're marketing to teenagers, Facebook ads aren't going to help you. They're just not. Uh, you need to be on Snapchat. Do you know what I mean? There's a whole, you've got to go where your customers understand where your customers lie. And another company we're talking to this week, want to do a big mad customer acquisition strategy, you know, going to spend probably around 200, 250 grand on ads. Um, that's a lot of money to spend on ads on paid media. But when you dig down a little bit, can you answer me this one simple question? When was the last time you emailed your customers? They were emailing them like maybe four or five times a year. So I'm like, well, why would you spend that much money on getting new customers when you've got really, really bad email marketing going on? Do you know what I mean? It's like you're paying all this money to bring them in, but then you're not increasing the lifetime value by regularly emailing them, by regularly having that engaged email campaigning. Uh, it was it was really odd. And so you've, you've got to get the balance right in terms of your marketing. Throwing money at it is generally not the answer, although it can oftentimes be helpful. You've got to think about who your customers are, where are they, what's going to engage with them, and how can we deliver that in a way that is consistent and meaningful and gets them to buy from my website. Absolutely. Now, was the was the second E engage or did I just make that up? No, no, no. The second E, which we're coming on to next, uh, which is the fifth step of the, the uh, framework, is experience. Ah. So this for me was highlighted with Jersey really, really acutely. A few years ago, we did this thing when we moved it over from Jersey to the UK. The first thing I did was I went and purchased uh, the exact same products from all of my competitors. Okay. So I place the same order on everybody's website, including our own. And what I wanted to do was I wanted to see which company got their products to me the first, uh, which ones charged me what, what packaging it came in, what courier they used. Uh, I wanted to understand that in, in, in a lot more detail. So uh, we purchased from all of our competitors' websites and they came. the products came in a whole manner of things. So one set of products came in what I call a jiffy bag, which is basically a, a padded envelope, you know, the, the one with a bubble wrap inside. Mm -hmm. And they're called jiffy bags here in the UK. We were the only ones that were sending the products out in the protective cardboard boxes. Well, that gave us an edge. That was cool. And then I noticed um, when I looked at our boxes, I thought, geez, these are just really dreary and boring. You know, so the average spend on our website is about 70 pounds, which is a lot of money to spend on skincare right? That's about $100. So the, if you've got that as an average order value, you're buying this because you uh, have, obviously you want to have healthy skin, but you feel like this is you treating yourself. This is you doing something truly remarkable for your own skin, your own uh, well-being. And so just sending it out in a jiffy bag or in a brown cardboard box didn't make any sense to me. So what we did was we took our cardboard box, we had them printed on the inside, not on the outside. So when you opened it up, there was this beautiful message kind of story on the inside. We double layered the box. So it felt like you were opening a gift. We wrapped the whole thing in tissue paper, which again, just, I wanted it to be like a gift opening experience as opposed to just a brown box experience. And then the other thing that we did, which totally transformed our whole experience where customers were concerned was we changed our sort of filler material. So, you know, like if you order something from Amazon, they basically shove it in a brown box and then they throw a load of brown paper in there just to pad the box out a little bit and stop whatever's in the box moving around. It's this kind of filler material. Mm -hmm. Well, we were using the plastic bubbles 
um, for a while. And we were like, well, these just aren't very environmentally friendly. Um, they're sure they're cheap to produce. Uh, they're lightweight. So shipping's not a problem. But we, we looked at that and we thought, well, actually, one, we want to be more environmentally friendly. Um, and two, it's just, again, dull and boring. How can we, you know, one of our values in our company is just fun. Let's have some fun. And so what we did was we took out the plastic bubbles and I replaced them with popcorn. Okay. It took me months to sort of figure out how we were going to do this. And we sort of brainstormed this for ages. And eventually we came up with the idea of popcorn. We tried, I don't know how many different types of corn we've tried over the years, but we've tried plenty. But in our warehouse now, we have literally popcorn machines going all the time, generating popcorn, just creating popcorn. And popcorn is brilliant because it's lightweight, it's biodegradable, and it's just a bit quirky and it's a bit fun. And so we put that in the box with the products. We wrapped it all in tissue paper. We had to put a little bit of a sticker on the tissue paper telling people not to eat the popcorn because it was not produced in a what you would call a food safe environment. It's just a bit of fun. So we're like, mm -hmm. compost it, give it to the birds. The amount of emails we got from people saying the popcorn tasted lovely. Thanks for sending <laughs> that. We were like, no, please don't eat it. Uh, so we put a little sticker on the tissue paper. We double stacked the box so it felt like you were opening a gift. And what happened was everybody started posting about their packaging on social media. They became a really good talking point to the point where, you know, if I looked at how many social media posts we'd had about our packaging before, we only ever had complaints that the box we'd sent the product in was too big. You know, no one posts about packaging, but here we have a whole raft of people who post about packaging on social media. They love and rave about the popcorn. It just sort of ties in with who they are. And for me, this is the experience, right? This comes down to this whole second D, this customer experience sector. What is the experience you're giving your customers after they have pressed the order now button, right? They've given you their credit card details. What happens from that point onwards really matters. It is super essential because the first time they have that box in their hands is the first time that it's real. Do you know what I mean? Up until that point, it's just been all pixels, yeah. but now they've got the real product. What kind of experience are you wanting to give your customer when they get that box? And it's a point for me of massive differentiation because most companies don't think about it. Uh, but you, you can do something relatively cheap, but relatively special uh, that really resonates with who your customers are just on the opening experience. Yeah, I, it's this goes to almost all facets of your business when it's in relation to your customer. If you can just do just you know a little bit extra in a couple dozen places, you're going to be a world apart from your nearest competitor. Mm -hmm. Nobody likes insurance, but everybody should have it. Mistakes do happen. Our partner Rewind can protect your Shopify store with automated backups of your most important data. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Trusted by over 70,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like Gymshark, Gatorade, and Movement Watches. Best of all, respond to any of their welcome emails and mention Honest E-Commerce to get your first month absolutely free. So we're rounding it out. We're coming up on the end of the framework. So what is why? So why we call Yo-Yo. Um, and this is where we say, what you want to do here is work really hard to build a repeatable and referable business. And so I see a lot of companies um, coming to me 
all the time coming to me and saying, uh, I need to grow, I need to grow. And and like the, the example I gave a minute ago, the, the guys wanted to spend a quarter million on paid ads. They're all about the first time customer getting that first time customer thinking that customer acquisition is the way to go. The longevity of any e-commerce business for me is not necessarily about customer acquisition. I'm not saying that's a bad strategy. I think it's perfectly legitimate and something you should do. But fundamentally, you have to build a business that is repeatable where you get customers coming back to you and buying from you and buying from you. And you build such a loyal tribe of customers that they are referring you constantly to their friends, their colleagues, people that they know, because this in effect is your most profitable traffic, your most profitable customers. This is how, for me, you build a really successful business is you don't rely just all on paid media. You have customers coming back time and time again, buying from you. And so what's your strategy for doing that? How do you get customers coming back and buying a second time, a third time? How do you maximize the lifetime value of your customers? Oh, absolutely. That's going to be the number one thing that you need to kind of focus on after you get all these other main systems in place. It becomes super important once you start talking about customer acquisition costs and your competition in the space. And if your competitor can burn more money to acquire that customer than you, that's a nightmare. There's a lot of math behind it when you kind of start to look at it on a more kind of holistic approach, like look at the whole picture. So yeah, I, I, I made some notes here. Uh, there are things in your framework that are not in mine, which is fine. Uh, there's, I think, <laughs> one thing yours. What's missing, Chase? That's my question. Well, first of all, there's nothing missing. Okay, so here's the, I want to go. I want to say that you're not wrong. You're, you know, you're right. I'm not wrong. I'm, you know, I may be right. Who knows? But the thing is, is these frameworks have goals with them. So yours is definitely uh, the experience as a whole. And it also is from the start of a business to any. It can work with any business where at they're at. So here's the perfect example. So with your framework, the first J in Jersey Jam Jar really ha- has to do with product market fit. Uh, I kind of just chopped that off my framework. I'm like, if you don't have that, this won't work. So <laughs> I just yeah. I just kind of chopped that off, and it's not it's not involved in mine at all. Um, another thing that's involved in yours that isn't in mine is uh, everything post purchase because our framework re- revolves a, a lot around what the agency can do for their clients and our goal. And how we find success with our customers is all kind of embedded in the kind of experience on site. And we don't play with anything off site. So I don't really have, I mean, I have, I have an input. Everything you said about that unboxing experience is amazing advice, but that's not really what our agency does. So that's not really involved in our framework at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are some highlights there that aren't included, but then there's a lot of stuff that is absolutely included in our framework. So our framework is a, the brand scaling framework. You know, this is the first time I think I'm talking about it on the show, but it'll be uh, I'm doing a course about it for Shopify actually. So it'll be on Shopify Compass, and then we'll use it in all of our marketing so everyone gets familiar with it. Uh, but it, it kind of goes down to the three to four KPIs that matter in e-commerce, in my opinion. Okay. Which obviously this is my opinion, but it's kind of based in fact, and these things work, and we have case studies around it that show that you know th- this thought process works. So we kind of position it to the numbers. So like these are the KPIs that matter. For a long time, I was going only with three, and then recently I'm like I may have to rethink this and add in a fourth. So the three that I always look at are traffic, conversion rate, and average order value. And the fourth that's coming in now is lifetime value. And can you like draw parallels where this is going to go with your framework? Sure. Yeah. So. For the first one, your conversion rate, that's going to have to do with like everything in your engineering column. 
for engineer. Yeah. Uh, and it's going to have to do with stuff in the resonate column as well, that customer journey. So that's kind of in that that first block there of your conversion rate. And, and that's fantastic. And then you've got the retargeting stuff that kind of lives in your resonate column and your marketing column. That to me kind of all lives in the traffic column of my framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the one that I did notice that you... It may be in your framework and, and it may just be because I didn't hear it. But the one that where we put a lot of kind of ideation on and strategy, and it's probably one of the hardest one, is the average order value column in our framework. Mm-hmm. You know, coming up with upsells, cross-sells, bundling, raising the average order value of every of all yeah. the purchases across the board is something that's we find is pretty crucial because that can get you out of some some bad territory of uh, scaling costs. But that's the only one I didn't see a direct correlation with your framework. Yeah, no, you're totally right, Chase. I mean, the, that's a metric that um, we strongly recommend people, you know, when we talk about these metrics with clients, when we go through this framework, we talk about average order value in just about all of these areas. Because if you've got high demand products, one of the things that you need to do is to curate the upsells. So if I'm selling, um, I don't know, fountain pens, I need to figure out what ink to sell, what paper to sell. Do you know what I mean? All those things on the on the website, that all comes for me in the research, what can you cross sell? What can you upsell? How do I increase the average order value in engineering? So you come to your website, how do I display these products on the website in a way that connects with the the right products? You know, we call them related products. How do I get that to work? How's that going to make sense? If we talk about resonance, it's like, what can I do? Can I do bundles? Can I do opening videos? Can I do, you know, sort of a, a blog post on why this ink is the perfect ink to go with this particular fountain pen? You know, all of that sort of stuff. It is absolutely, as you say, totally agree, absolutely critical, the average order value and how you increase that. Uh, how do you get that up? Because you've worked hard to get that customer. You're shipping stuff out to them. Make it easy to add another 10, 20, 30% onto that order value. Uh, and and you, again, you start to fly, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure if we wanted to take the time and put our frameworks on a whiteboard, we could just draw arrows between everything. And we're like, these are the same thing with different... <laughs> you know what I mean? They're, it's going to be scary close. And here's the thing. I guarantee that I'm going to have guests on this podcast. I'm sure you've talked to people in in your life and in the consulting space that have similar methodologies behind how they're going to help a business scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know what? A lot of these things, half of what we're talking about here applies to any business, not just e-commerce. Now that I'm kind of like trying to run through it quickly in my head. So a lot of these are, are really just... This is how you grow businesses. And the, you know the frameworks that you and I have come up with are more geared towards e-commerce. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, like I said at the start, this is not rocket science. This is just, I needed a way to explain to customers what I thought were the six critical elements of running a successful e-commerce business as I saw them in running my own e-commerce businesses, the six areas that we focus on. And it wasn't just web related, but, you know, like you say, we've gone from the, from the beginning to the end. These are the six areas that we need to think about. Where are you working hard in these six areas? What's missing? What's broken? What could you do to improve in that specific area? And I think part of my job as you know, running Jersey Beauty Company, running e-commerce businesses, is I just regularly look at the businesses. I go down this checklist, these six items. What's missing? What's not working? Where have we got stuck in that particular area? What could I do to improve it? What, do I, what trends am I seeing with our customers in those areas? And doing that, I think it always keeps you sharp. It always keeps you, you know, on the edge of what you should be doing. 
Absolutely. So uh, before we go here, I do want to take some time to highlight uh, that you now have a masterclass that's out. Uh, does does the masterclass teach this framework? Uh, or what, what would someone kind of learn in, in your e-commerce masterclass? Yeah, it's exactly what we do. The masterclass is deep diving into each of these six segments. So how do I go and find high demand products? You know, what research do I need to do? What kind of things do I need to look for in the products? What kind of products should I not sell? What kind of things should I look for in an e-commerce platform? How do I build high conversion pages and all that sort of stuff? So yeah, you know, the seven pillars of e-commerce marketing, we go through all of those in the send section. We talk an awful lot about the customer experience and deep dive into that. So yeah, we the, the whole masterclass is about eight or nine hours of teaching just going into these six different areas. That's fantastic. And I'll make sure to link to that in the description of this episode. You know, other than that, if people are, you know, picking up what you're putting down, how do they reach out? How do they get a hold of you? Uh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, great. Uh, simply just head on over to mattedmondson.com. And, uh, you know, that's my website, mattedmondson.com. And you'll find all the links to the social media. If you if social media is your thing and you want to reach out on social, I'm on Instagram and all those sorts of places. Just follow the links on there. It'd be great to connect with you. Great to meet with you. Um, and uh, yeah, I hope, hopefully get to talk to you all soon. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today. No problem. Thanks for having me, Chase. It's been great. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their journey and knowledge with us today. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our businesses. Links and more information will be available in the show notes as well. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, feel free to reach out and learn more at electriceye.io slash connect. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave an amazing review. Thank you.